go preach in Bucharest, as many of you know. And as I was making arrangements with the pastor there, who's a friend of mine, he said that when I go and preach there, I'm going to have to wear a minister's collar. Now, yeah, so as a guy from Alabama, most of my experience with these things in the American South was Roman Catholic vestments and the guys taking presbytery exams now who in a trendy way are stating that they're going to wear the collar were corrected. Let's put it that way. My, my friend in Romania though said that the minister's collar there distinguishes pastors who belong to remotely orthodox branches of Christianity from sects like Jehovah's Witnesses or prosperity gospel advocates. So whereas I would never dare to wear the collar back home, I happily donned it uh, to preach in Eastern Europe. Uh, I was flexible here because Scripture does not mandate the pastor's apparel as if preachers have to wear one thing across cultures and times, and so I'm ready to adapt to avoid being an obstacle to the gospel. And the point that I'm just trying to get to through that story is that Paul seems to approach things uh, that are indifferent in a similar way, particularly in our passage tonight. He had a concern to get the gospel before people so that they could be one to faith in Christ. Paul was fixed on an unchangeable message about Jesus Christ, but was very ready to change his approach about how he might be the one presenting that message. Now this point falls within Paul's argument why Christians should give up their rights to help one another. The, the Corinthians, as we've seen in chapter 8, had written to ask whether it's permissible to eat meat uh, that had been sacrificed to idols. Paul said that they definitely cannot participate in the pagan worship services, but further, even though it is permissible uh, and we'll see that more clearly later in this book, to eat the meat itself, you need to forego eating if it injures a fellow believer's conscience. So he, he supported that instruction in chapter 9 by showing how he gave up his rights to financial support so that the gospel would not be obstructed. So then, as we focus in on the verses before us in in verses 19 to 23, Paul doubled down on why he was ready to be so flexible with things that are non-essential since he wanted more people to know the gospel. He has said in verses 1 to 14 that he certainly had rights to financial support and in verses 15 to 18 that he gave them up because he wanted preaching the gospel itself to be his reward. And now, in the verses before us, he, he tilted the discussion back towards the original discussion about if meat sacrificed to idols was permissible in order to show that he was not finding some way to insert a defense of his apostleship, which 
as we may remember, was the issue at stake in earlier chapters. But this defense of his apostleship uh, in regards to his sacrifice of financial rights was one way that he made himself a servant to all. And so that's the lead up. He's, he's given up these things, and that is one example of how he is a servant to all for the sake of the gospel. And so this paragraph links tightly into the context as verses 19 to 23 give the reason for what Paul said previously in verses 15 to 18. So specifically, let me just lay that out. Verse 15, Paul said he had not used his right to financial support because, as we see now, he made himself a servant to all so that he might win some for Christ. And now, how do we think about this together? And the main point is that Paul's example of single-minded gospel focus prompts us to examine what is most important about ourselves. Paul's example of single-minded gospel focus prompts us to examine what is most important about ourselves. Now we're going to think about this in three points. The forfeit, the freedom, and the family. First, the forfeit. Now this point, very simply, I hope, demonstrates from our text the ways that Paul altered his conduct for the gospel's sake. So in our text, if you, if you have it in front of you, get your Bible, verse 19 encapsulates this section's main idea that then the following verses explain, he wrote, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I think it's easy sometimes for us to, to brush over this verse or one second if, if we get used to how Paul stacked up clauses that kind of create tension between phrases. But in this one verse, we see three crucial points already. So the first thing is Paul was free from all. He was in Christ, which means that he was not subject to human traditions, and he was released from the law's curse. Paul mentioned his freedom here actually as a, as a concession point, though. So, so do you see that uh, in the verse? It says, though I am free from all. He was emphasizing that, that it was despite his total freedom in Christ that he became a servant to all. He didn't have to do this, but he was willing to do it for the sake of the gospel. And that, that is our second point that we see in this text. Paul did not have to make himself a servant, but chose to become a servant. He, he primarily did that by executing his apostolic ministry of preaching the gospel, but without, so the way he made himself a servant was without accepting their financial support. So in, if you think about it this way, in contrast to how Paul could have lived his life entirely in accord to 
all of those privileges he had in the gospel. For example, eating whatever he wanted. That's one way. And as a minister, for example, by taking financial support for his preaching. In contrast to that, he made himself into a servant. He followed the model set by Christ, who temporarily emptied himself of his full divine rights by taking the form of a servant. This explains why Paul refused financial support in verses 15 to 18, which is why verse 19 begins, for, because, right? He's telling us why. And and further, Paul's very clear that his goal is not in using all of his freedoms, but in fact to give them up, which is the third point. He meant to do that so that he might win people to Christ by giving up those freedoms. He didn't do it for no reason. He gave up freedoms to see people come to Jesus. And this last point is really crucial because it it indicates that Paul wasn't just trying to be more conservative or more socially acceptable, nor did he become a servant because he thought his works helped his heavenly security. Paul did these things to aid evangelism and to help preserve people well in their Christian walk. And then in verses 20 to 22, he he explained specific ways that he did that. We can move, I think, pretty quickly through his examples that show how he served all. So if we look at verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew, as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. When it was important for the gospel's cause, Paul followed some of the principles of the Mosaic law, even though he was not bound to it as a requirement for belonging to God's people anymore. So if we think about the book of Galatians, he pounded them for adopting circumcision as a requirement for justification, which shows that he knew that Christians are free from the law in regards to their salvation and standing before God. And yet, at the same time, in Acts 16.3, we see that Paul circumcised Timothy so that Timothy did, did not have an unnecessary hindrance when he preached to Jews. He was ready to act as he was under the law if that was going to help him evangelize those under the law. Now verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And we'll, we'll come back to, to a bit of that in, in the next point, but we can see pretty clearly that, that the Gentiles, all the nations besides Israel, had not received the written Mosaic law, which meant that their consciences did not have the, the same sensitivities to, to many of the things that would ruffle Jewish consciences. And Paul and the Jerusalem council didn't require the Gentiles to 
be circumcised or obey every point of the Mosaic law and ask them to observe minimal things that would help other Jewish Christians. And Paul says simply, I'm ready to do the same. I'm ready not to live under the principles of the Mosaic law if it will facilitate evangelism better. Verse 22. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now the weak here, yeah, this could potentially be confusing, but everybody is a sharp person. And the weak are not the weak in conscience that he discussed previously. Since, as we see, Paul didn't become weak in conscience like that. But these are people who are weak in society, actually, that have been in the background of this letter all along. This this point relates uh, to the thing that we've seen so far in previous sections about his refusal to accept financial support. He rejected money from cultural patrons so that he wouldn't be tied to any of the civic elite in in all situations Paul had adopted the posture that would help promote the gospel among his audience. That if that means being socially weak so that there's no obstacles to the socially weak, that's where he is. Paul's forfeit was to give up what stood in the way of gospel progress. Which brings to our second point. The f- it's the, the first point looked at these verses to show how Paul was flexible about the aesthetics, I guess, of, of his life so that he could advance the gospel. And this point considers what does this passage exhort us to do? Even though this passage describes what Paul did as an apostle, his rhetorical point remained tied to his exhortation to give up your right to do things that, that may make your fellow Christian stumble. And that, however, I think isn't always how this passage gets applied. There, there is a, a clear edge to this about, about the way that anyone should conduct themselves in God's family and go about doing whatever kind of ministry they have. And so I, I'm thinking about a sp- specific season in my life. So when I was involved in, in university ministry more years ago than I would like it, to, uh, the, the group was heavily focused on evangelism. Uh, and I remember hearing this phrase a lot, become all things to all people. And... The point that they were trying to make is you know, we should become like whatever target group we wanted to reach. So so if you wanted to infiltrate a sports team for the gospel, uh, and we needed to throw ourselves into sports culture and learn a lot about this game and, you know, try to play it the best we can. That's one way that this was discussed more rarely significantly less often, and only by, I think, one person who is in actual leadership, I think. Some would appeal to this verse as a a reason that they were fine 
you know, tolerating, not, not just knowing that someone does something, but tolerating immoral activities that are part of a stereotypical university life, I suppose. And the thing is, neither of those uses actually match Paul's point in this verse. Paul didn't advocate adopting hobbies as part of an evangelistic strategy. Quite the opposite. He's actually arguing that we give up things that might offend believers or be a hindrance to the gospel. So if we think as an, an example, so Hudson Taylor was a 19th century missionary to China. And He's often used as an example of taking on a new lifestyle to, to win people because he adopted Chinese styles of, of dress of, of the time and, and so forth. Uh, Taylor, however, did that because Western dress was a real hindrance to the gospel making inroads into Eastern cultures. He was ready to give up things that were possibly even important to him, even just... Uh, at one level at least, to avoid being an obstacle to evangelism. But he was, he was still making a sacrifice because of an actual issue there to help smooth the way for the gospel to progress. Taylor's practice actually did align with Paul's point that, that we need to be ready to give up things for the gospel's sake. Uh, not simply be cultural chameleons. That's actually not what we're called to do. And I think even further, and this one concerns me more, uh, Paul was clear in verse 21 that becoming like those who did not know the law did not mean that he tolerated ungodliness. And I think that's really crucial. So being free from the ceremonial law of Moses did not free him from his obligations to God's eternal moral law. You see that in, in verse 21, right? Even if the, the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments that were given uh, to Moses atop Mount Sinai, God, uh, God still has tied Christians to the moral law as the law of Christ. And as so, cannot entirely dismiss unrighteousness, even in our attempts to evangelize people, we still have to be concerned with our own, with other Christians, and even the way that we interact with people engaging in ungodliness. And so we can't use these verses, and I I think that this is poignant for our day and age, we cannot use these verses to excuse not addressing sin, and certainly cannot use them as a reason to join in sin. Christians are in the world, but not of it. Christians should not let others engage in open sins of commission just so that we don't burn evangelistic bridges as much as it's within our ability to have those conversations. I realize that the emphasis in today's church is to build relationships as part of evangelistic endeavors. And that's well and good and exactly what we should be doing. The the biblical examples still seem to be that the apostles confronted sin on the spot. 
And so we think then that become all things to all people is not an excuse to get to do whatever you want. And it's not an excuse to do, to get to do whatever you want as you meet with unbelievers. It is in fact the exact opposite. It is not a reason to get to indulge what we want, but a reason to give up what we want if it hinders the gospel. We do not help the gospel by trying to blend into a specific subculture just as such for the sake of it, especially when we as ourselves are not an offensive obstacle. And we certainly do not help the gospel by tolerating or joining in obvious sin. As Paul demonstrated earlier, the word of the cross is its own power, and and we are not the reason that it will succeed. God is. The freedom is to let the gospel have the power to save people, but not the freedom is not from our obligation to be faithful to God according to His revealed will. Which brings us to our last point: the family. So we've seen, right, that Paul has evangelistic fervor and was ready to forfeit in different aspects of his lifestyle for the gospel's sake. And we've seen also that we do not use that principle to help ourselves get what we want, but to keep ourselves fixed on the actually important goal of the gospel's advance. And this final point considers why in the midst of all this focus on conduct. The gospel is still the shining light here. If you will read verse 23 with me. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That so that with the purpose that I may share with them in its blessings. Literally, it should be share with them in it. Blessings isn't in, in the Greek. That I might share with them in the gospel. And notice, the point I want, I want to put on that right there is that Paul thought the gospel is something that we have in common with others. He, he did all this for the gospel with the purpose of sharing in the gospel with them. In ordinary circumstances, the gospel is not something you can have by yourself. God saves you into a people, into His church. Paul did not say that he did all this so that you might become a Christian and then go off on your own. He didn't uh, do all this so that you might become a Christian and go study the Bible by yourself. He didn't do this so that you become a lone ranger Christian and bear all things by yourself. He he wanted to be a partner, a a a co-participant. A fellowshipper, a, a sharer with these Christians. He wanted, he wanted to be in the gospel 
and he wanted to have these people in the gospel with him. Alongside each other. Together. We always need to consider the specific message of the gospel. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus Christ is God's son who, who came to earth to save people. He, he lived in a human nature to, to earn our place in heaven. He poured out his life and death upon the cross so that his blood might be a ransom for us whose, whose lives are owed God's enduring wrath in hell. Christ rose from the grave because death cannot hold the perfectly righteous Son of God who stands in heaven now to intercede for all who trust in Him. And the question is, do you believe in that Savior? Do you know that you are a sinner who would endure God's anger forever if you do not go to this Jesus for rescue? It's an important question for you to consider. And at the same time, I I realize that there are many here who do. if, If you do know that gospel message and you trust in Jesus as your Savior, then then this text states, we've considered the gospel, and this text states for us an all-important implication of the gospel. Christ doesn't save you into loneliness, but into a family. We are God's people. We are not God's persons, individuals. We are God's people. The gospel does not take you out of hell into isolation, but into God's people who love you. Paul wanted himself and the Corinthians to be sharers in the gospel. He wanted them to be together in Christ. Our our amazing Savior does that for us, too. He takes us out of of a lonely and lost world that is becoming more and more so. You think you can see ads on television, right? For people saying, I'm elderly and I'm lonely. Will someone come and just sit with me? And we need ads for that. And God says, I have the church for that. Christ takes us out of the lost and lonely world. And he puts us here among people who struggle with us, bear our burdens and encourage us in love so that we might all see that Christ together more clearly. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that you would help us to be genuine sharers in the gospel together. 
that we would realize that this thing called the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ is something that makes a community. And that in this community, we often have to give up things for one another. We have to be ready for that. We have to observe and exhort people also to give up things that they might wish to have, that we might all preserve one another well in walking with Christ. We see that. We we know that it's complicated to be in the church. We know that we fail each other in ridiculous ways sometimes. And yet, God, we are thankful for the gospel precisely because of that, that you cleanse us from all our many sins and that you bring us together as the body of Christ. Certainly we are fixed on Christ. And we are fixed on Christ together as a family. We ask that you would work that amongst us, even now. That you would help us to come together to push one another towards the Lord Jesus in all aspects of our life, here on your day, but throughout the week the best we can as well. We do pray that for the sake of Jesus. Amen.